In the early 1900s, a woman by the name of Anna Jarvis first suggested that our country have a single day every year where we honored our mothers. And she wanted that day to remind us of the one person who had done more for us than any other person in the world, our mother, the one who was with us in the best of times and the worst of times. And she was really inspired by her own mother. Her own mother worked in field hospitals during the Civil War. She taught classes on public health and safety, and she raised her 13 children to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And her, her cause culminated in 1914 with Woodrow Wilson, the President of the United States, declaring that the second Sunday in every May would be Mother's Day. The purpose of the holiday, Wilson said, was for public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. Well, of course, this weekend is Mother's Day. And tomorrow in particular, or today, if you're watching tomorrow, is Mother's Day. And we are in the middle of a series called Unsung Heroes, and I thought, well, who better to look at than two great moms? And so today we are going to be in Exodus chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 of Exodus chapter 2. So if you would turn there right now, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to speak your truth. Lord, I come before you and ask that you would fill me with your spirit, Lord, that I would be completely yielded to you. And I pray that same prayer for all of us here, Lord, that we would be yielded to your spirit working in our hearts, convicting us, transforming us with your truth, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we dive into our passage, I just want to give a little bit of background and context so that we understand what's going on here. If we go back to Genesis chapter 15, we read about God's covenant with Abraham and how he promised to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. But he said that I'm going to do that, but your descendants are going to be sojourners and slaves in a foreign land for 400 years. And then the rest of Genesis tells the story of Abraham's son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob and Jacob's 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph. And Joseph was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. And they sold him, and he ended up in Egypt. And in Egypt, by the grace and power of God, he rose to be second in command and in charge of all of Egypt. And one day, his brothers came to him in the middle of a famine, and after forgiving them and resolving their broken relationships, ultimately, all of Joseph's family, all of his brothers and all of their families and his dad, Jacob, moved into Israel, into a foreign land. 
And at the end of Genesis, Jacob, right before he's about to die, he blesses most of his sons and then passes away. And then Joseph passes away as well. And that is where the book of Exodus picks up. And after several hundred years, we learn that the Israelites who had settled in the land of Goshen, the very fertile eastern part of Egypt, had multiplied and had multiplied and had multiplied. But verse 8 of chapter 1 tells us that a new king arose in Egypt. Now, for those of you who like a little historical context... There was a dynasty of Egyptian pharaohs who were actually from the Middle East. They were Asiatics. And they were in charge for a time. And most historians think that it was during that time that Joseph came to power. Well, the native Egyptians didn't like these foreign rulers very much. And they kicked them out. And most historians think that it was during that overthrow, the overthrow of the Hyksos dynasty, if you're interested that we read about in Exodus chapter 1. And so this new pharaoh didn't take kindly to the fact that there were all of these Israelites in this prized land multiplying. And so he systematically began to oppress and enslave them. But mere enslavement wasn't enough. And in the last verse of Exodus chapter 1 we read about how Pharaoh said that all of the Hebrew baby boys had to be thrown into the Nile River to drown. And that brings us right to our text today, right up to Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, where we're introduced to the first mother in our story. And I want us to focus on, right now, on the confidence of Jochebed. We start in verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now, the first thing that we should notice is that the name of the mother here isn't given. If we want to find out the name of Moses' mother, we have to turn over to Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, in a list of genealogies where we learn that Moses' father's name was Amram, and his mother's name was Jochebed. And oh, by the way, Jochebed was also Amram's aunt. So there was a little bit of incest going on there, which, by the way, wasn't outlawed yet. That would be outlawed by their son from God in the law of Moses at Mount Sinai. But little fun fact. <laughs> so while we don't learn the name of Moses' parents in chapter 2, one thing we do learn that's very important in verse 1 is that both of Moses' parents were Levites. Now today we know the Levite tribe to be the tribe through which the priests and all the temple caretakers came. 
but the Levites didn't hold those esteemed positions at this point in the Hebrew history books. Remember that I told you that prior to Jacob's death, he blessed most of his sons? Well, there were two sons who he didn't bless. In fact, he cursed them. And we can read about this in Genesis chapter 49. And the two sons that he cursed were two brothers, Simeon and Levi. And he cursed them for taking matters into their own hands and avenging the rape of their sister Dinah. That's in Genesis 34. So Jacob cursed them to be divided and scattered in the promised land. So the Levites were a cursed people. And Jochebed and her husband and their son were from this cursed tribe. Well, why is this important? Well, as the story unfolds, we see very quickly that Jochebed had tremendous faith and confidence in Yahweh despite the curse that was hanging over her and her son's head. See, Jochebed, she didn't allow her past identity to dictate how she lived her life or what she expected from her God. Sounds a lot like Jephthah, who we studied a couple weeks back. And this is a really important point of application that we can draw from Jochebed right away. Because many of us might have been raised with people telling us that you'll never amount to anything, or this is all you can expect, or you better be this because of who your family name says you should be. Having labels put on you and expectations put on you, good or bad. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing with the people around us, even our own kids. But thankfully, Jochebed didn't do that. She didn't lay the label of a cursed Levite on her son Moses. She understood the truth that would be later revealed in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Our past or the expectations of other people should never define how we live our lives, or who we think we are. And we should never put expectations on other people as well, expectations that God himself doesn't put on them. We need to live our lives as the new creations that we are once we put our faith in Christ, and we need to empower our kids to walk as new creations following after Jesus Christ as well. And that is exactly what Jochebed did. So when she gave birth and she saw that her son was a fine child, that's what the text says, by the way, the Hebrew literally means she saw him that he was good, which sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1. When she gave birth and she saw that her son was good, she disobeyed the order of Pharaoh and she hid him. And the Hebrew word for hid 
was used in the sense of locking something up that you treasured and wanted to keep safe. Something of great value. She loved this little boy and she treasured and she trusted that the Lord had amazing things in store for him. Despite his heritage as a Levite. So when Moses gets to be three months old and she couldn't keep him a secret any longer, she finally complies with Pharaoh's command and she puts him in the Nile. Now, some of you may think that this was Jacobed trying to save her own skin because she didn't trust the Lord. But if we look closely at the text, we'll see that she was actually doing the exact opposite. See, first, she took careful steps to build a watertight basket for her son. Interestingly, the Hebrew word for basket here is the same exact word used of Noah's ship. Literally, it means ark. And this, unlike popular depictions, wasn't some floating Longenberger basket, okay? This wasn't uh, this cute little baby just floating out there open to the Nile. The baby and the basket would have been completely enclosed, kind of like a football or an egg with the precious cargo inside. So we see that she did everything in her power to protect her child from the danger she knew he would face. But more than that, if we know a little something about the ancient Near Eastern culture, we'll see that instead of abandoning her child to death, she was actually showing tremendous confidence and trust in the Lord, putting her baby's well-being in his hands. See, there are lots of accounts of women in the ancient Near East from many different cultures who, for whatever reason, had to give up their child, couldn't keep their child. And in all of these accounts, the women appeal to whatever deity they worship, and they say, he is in your hands. And they trust in the deity that they worship. And that is exactly what Jochebed did. She did what she could do to protect her child, but ultimately she trusted in the Lord to protect him and to, to the Lord to unfold his plan for the baby. And though the text doesn't say it here, we can imagine that Jochebed instructed her daughter, likely Miriam, to keep a watch on the baby and see how their God would deliver this precious child from the waters of the Nile. So Jochebed had tremendous faith, tremendous confidence in the Lord and and men and women, and especially you moms, how many of you know that when we're raising our kids, we have got to put our confidence in the Lord. We have got to put our trust and faith in the Lord because there are going to be times when all we can do is trust in the Lord. I mean, kids are going to get sick. They're going to get really sick. My little girl was throwing up all week, and there was nothing I could do about it take her to the doctor, could get her medicine, but ultimately the best thing I could do for her was pray and trust the Lord. Sometimes our kids are 
going to make bad decisions, maybe doing the exact opposite of what you told them they should do. Sometimes gonna, our kids are going to get into relationship struggles. Maybe dating someone who the word of God says they shouldn't. Maybe getting their girlfriend pregnant. Maybe not able to find someone at all who they connect with. And some of our kids, they're going to get sucked in to the lies and enticements of the world, and they may even walk away from their faith. But moms and dads, that's when we have got to continue to have trust and confidence in the Lord that he who began a good work in them will bring it to completion. Amen? And we don't just need faith, by the way, with our kids. We, we need faith with every situation of our lives. Because there's going to be lots of trials and tribulations that you and I face as well. But that's when we come back to the fact that we know that God is faithful. He is the great deliverer. He's with us at all times. And he will deliver us in his perfect timing, even though that might not look like the deliverance that we expect it to, or it might not look like deliverance at all. That's because we're not looking for the right type of deliverance. We've got to trust that the Lord knows what he's doing and will be faithful. Problem the problem is that many of us think that we're trusting God when really all we're doing is trusting in ourselves. And we're trying to take control away from God, especially when it comes to our kids. See, if we read this story without understanding Jochebed's faith, then all we see here is a desperate mom trying to do everything she can to control the fate of her son. And you know what? I, I think lots of us parents do this. And I'm going to go out on a little limb here, and I'm going to say that moms, it's more often than not you who do this. See, moms, I know, I know how much you love and care for your children, whether they're your biological children or your spiritual children. And I know how much you want them to succeed and grow, but moms and dads, we can't control every aspect of their lives. We can't be God to our kids. We've got to trust the Lord and teach our kids to trust the Lord as well. <laughs> I always chuckle and shake my head a little bit whenever I'm at one of my kids' sporting events. Because if you've ever been to one of those sporting events, there's always those crazy parents there, right, yelling at their kids. The moms are the worst. And they're yelling at their kids to do this or to do that or to kick the ball or what's wrong with you and then they're getting on the ref when he makes a bad call and then after the game they're getting into fistful fights with the parents from the other team. 
I've seen it. You want to see crazy parents, you go to a Wilson Palmer youth soccer game, all right? You will see crazy parents there. But you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? That, that desire to control, carefully planning and controlling everything that your kids do, what they watch, what they eat, what they wear, who they hang out with. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be good parents. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do everything we can to teach our kids properly and to correct them when they make bad decisions and help them not to make bad decisions and avoid bad things. But I'm talking about many Parents tend to see, especially moms, to control their kids and not let them develop their own identity that depends on the Lord as opposed to depending on mom. Moms and dads, if that's us, we've got to recognize that. And we've got to repent of our sin because it is sin. How is it sin? Because it is trusting in ourselves as opposed to trusting in God. Taking matters into our own hands as opposed to putting them into the hands of the Lord. Parents, we have got to lead our kids properly. We've got to love them, encourage them, affirm them, and discipline them. But we've got to point them toward Jesus, not us. The faith and confidence of Jochebed in God is something that every single one of us should seek to emulate and pray that the Lord deepens within us. Because we're all going to put our confidence in something. We've got to make sure we're not putting it in ourselves and that we're putting it in him. But not only do we need to seek the Lord to strengthen our confidence in him, and learn to let go of controlling everything. As we turn to the second mother in our story, we see that Pharaoh's daughter teaches us a little something about compassion as well. And so now we turn to the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter, starting in verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Enter Jochebed. Isn't God awesome? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, in case you were wondering, the typical weaning age back then was about three or four. 
She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, like with Jochebed, the text doesn't give us the name of Pharaoh's daughter. And because we really don't know the exact dates of the Exodus, there's no way we'll ever find out who this woman was this side of heaven. But the text does tell us a couple things about this woman. First, we know that she was royalty. Likely the daughter or the granddaughter of the same Pharaoh who said that all Hebrew boys need to be thrown into the Nile. We also learn that she knew the baby was Hebrew. This wasn't a case of mistaken identity. Well, how did she know that? We don't really know. The text doesn't tell us. There's three main theories. A, the baby was possibly wrapped in a Hebrew blanket, giving it away. B, the baby would have been circumcised. It was after the eighth day when babies were typically circumcised and Egyptian babies weren't circumcised. Or C, why would an Egyptian baby be in a basket floating down the river? Logically, it didn't make sense. For whatever the reason was, she knew this was a Hebrew baby, and she very well knew exactly what the law was to be done to male Hebrew babies. And yet, verse 6 tells us specifically that she had pity on him. Her compassion poured out on this child in distress. This child with a death sentence over his head. And can I just say right now, praise God for compassionate moms. I mean, there's a reason why my little girl cried out for mama all week as she was throwing up, and I got stuck cleaning up the puke all week. But I'm not bitter. Wife, <laughs> moms, let me, let me just encourage you for a second, and all of us, but moms especially, because this comes so natural to you, well, for most of you, <laughs> have an understanding heart and mind. Be compassionate and loving to those around you, to those who you see in distress. Let your compassion fall heavy on those around you, because... God gave you that gift. He made you that way for a reason. Walk in that. Pharaoh's daughter was filled with compassion. And when Jochebed's daughter, again, probably Miriam, boldly approached her and offered assistance, Pharaoh's daughter accepted it. Moms, another point of application, real brief. We can't do everything on our own. We've got to love on our kids, but we've also got to allow other people to love on our kids and encourage them and equip them as well. In fact, the reality is that just as confidence can be misplaced in ourselves and manifest itself in a desire to control everything, so too can our compassion for our kids 
be displaced by an obsession with our kids, where we seek to do and to be everything for them. Now, let me explain what I mean here. I've seen too many parents, and again, usually it's moms, who have their entire world revolve around their kids. Their children have become idols to them. And everything they do is for the benefit of their kids. This causes their parents to coddle them, to baby them, to spoil them, to give them everything they want, to never discipline or just say no. You want that? Okay, sure. Let me get that for you. Oh, I'll, I'll do it. You don't have to do it. Oh, you want to sleep in this morning? Sure, I'll let you sleep in this morning. You don't have to come with us. Parents and moms especially, please hear this. We aren't here to be our kids' friends. We aren't here to be the cool mom or dad. We aren't here for the happiness and entertainment of our children. We are here to raise them to be godly men and women who follow the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if all we're concerned with is them as opposed to God, then they have a very poor example of what we're trying to do in their lives. We need to model to them what an all-in relationship with the Lord looks like. And we can't do that if we're just constantly revolving around them. See, on one extreme, we have trying to control every aspect of our kids' lives. And on the other extreme, on the other end of the spectrum, we have obsessing over our kids and doing everything that they want. The reality is that every single one of us is prone to fall into one of those two ends of the spectrum. Controlling our kids or pleasing them as opposed to trusting in God and pleasing God. Now here's the key. And if you don't hear anything else, hear this. None of us can do the confidence thing and the compassion thing unless and until we seek the Lord to deliver us from our sinful passions that so quickly drown us. We need deliverance from our sinfulness. And the book of Exodus is all about deliverance. The book begins by telling us of how these amazing women saved Moses from the Nile. And we can learn valuable lessons and points of application from them. But we've got to dig, 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 blah, blah, blah. Dig deeper. I hate those double D words. 
dig deeper and recognize that if we hope to actually apply any of this, we've got to get to the gospel in our story. We've got to see how the gospel is right here staring us in the face because it's only through the power of the gospel that we can be transformed as the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and convicts us of our sin and enables us to do what God calls us to do. So where's the gospel? Well, let's find it. See, just like Moses, every single one of us is born with a death sentence because of our sin. Our inability to live up to God's perfect and holy standard. And just like baby Moses, none of us can save ourselves. Moses couldn't swim out of the Nile River. And we can't keep ourselves from drowning in our own sin. And just like Moses crying in the basket, we have got to cry out to God to save us from our sin. And like Jochebed, God has provided a way. He has provided a basket, an ark, to ensure our safety, and that basket's name is Jesus Christ. Amen? And just as Moses was placed inside the basket and kept safe, we can only find our salvation and deliverance by putting our faith into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of the compassion and mercy of our Lord, just like Pharaoh's daughter, we can have confidence that once we have put our faith in Christ, our salvation is forever secured. Because like Moses, we're now adopted into the royal family. And we're empowered and equipped to live the rest of our lives in joyful and thankful service to our Father and King. All for the glory and fame of his name. That's the gospel and it's all over this story. And it's only the gospel that has the power to deliver us from the consequences of our sin. It's only the gospel that has the ability to deepen our trust and confidence in the Lord and give us compassion when otherwise we'd have a hardened heart. It's only through the Holy Spirit working in us and transforming us that we can lead our children properly to love them, encourage them, affirm them, and discipline them. We can't conform to the pattern of this world and fall for the lies of the enemy and think that we can do any of this apart from God. We'll fall short. There are no quick fixes. There are no shortcuts. The only answer is Jesus. You remember Anna Jarvis, the woman who began the movement for Mother's Day? Well, soon after Woodrow Wilson instituted this holiday, 
she saw how quickly it was corrupted and commercialized by greedy people trying to make money off of moms. And she began to protest it. She began to picket department stores and Hallmark stores. She was sickened to think that so many people just bought a card or bought some flowers or chocolates and gave no real meaningful thanks to their moms. Because she knew that by making Mother's Day another superficial holiday, that it distorted the real heart behind thanking our moms. And that's thanking our God for the mother that he gave us. Thanking our God who perfectly encompasses all of those maternal qualities of a mother, even when our mother didn't. See, this Mother's Day, not only should we honor our moms in meaningful ways and encourage and thank them for the amazing sacrifices they make for their children and the unparalleled love and compassion that they have for us, but we also have got to recognize that it is our Lord in heaven who gave us our moms and who is everything that our moms can't be. And he is here with us all the time to deliver us from our sin. Praise God. This Mother's Day, let's thank our moms, but praise God for his love, his encouragement, his affirmation, his discipline, his leading our lives and delivering us from every sin that we fall into through his son, our big brother, Jesus Christ. Amen?